uh, taken a look at it, and we've seen uh, just one of the last things was the, the poor widow's might. We've seen the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. We've seen the hypocrisy of the last days. And what we find is a lot of parallels between the first century and this century. Now, the parallels are, are very applicable to us. Are we living in the last days? Well, that's certainly what it appears. Um, there, I know a lot of people say, well, it could be hundreds of years old, off and things like this. And I'm thinking, nowhere in the history of the world and the history of prophecy is God brought together all everything he needed, converged it, to carry out a great prophetic event and then dispersed it and sent it all back. Some people say, well, Israel could leave the land. Well, they've been in and out of the land several times, but not like this. But then along with that, you now have a, an army from the kings of the east that tops 200 million. That could be in fulfillment of Revelation 16. We looked at a literal <clears throat> fulfillment of prophecy. That does not mean that we do away with figurative language. There is obviously figurative language found in all kinds of prophecy. But what we're looking for is the literal fulfillment of these events, sometimes described in figurative terms. Now, the Lord is going to give us some of that information, and th this uh, study is amazing. You can see, uh, beginning in Matthew 24, it'll go all the way through Matthew 25. So there's two chapters here. Mark chapter 13 is where this is found, and also in Luke 21, verse 5, to the end of the chapter. So you find three of the Gospels, recording the Olivet Discourse, and to understand it, we have to pull all three of them together because they're parallel passages. Some of the writers got part of it, some of it got another. They're not contradictory. They're explanatory. One will explain a little more than another one might. Sometimes the wording is almost identical where it was inspired to be re recorded. Matthew, interestingly enough, was not one of the disciples that was there, yet he records the information because the disciples that were there obviously gave it to him. Mark, as many have said, has learned his information from Peter. Peter was one of the people present there. And Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. And what we find is a very clear uh, picture of inspiration. Uh, the inspiration of Scripture, how things converge together. God is not limited by us, and I am so thankful for that. That we can, we goof up, we mess up, you can send us out to mess up, and we'll mess up on the way out. I mean, and still, he loves us. That doesn't change, and that is amazing. To understand prophecy requires the Holy Spirit. We're told in John 16, the night before the cross, he told his disciples he would send us another comforter who would lead us into all the truth and disclose to us things to come. It's not a special revelation that we're seeking. What we're seeking is to understand the revelation that he's already given. And with that, to be able to apply it to today, our, our time frame in which we live, are we living in the last days? Well... We meet all the qualification. It's all the players are in place. Uh, the rapture could happen any instant. And I know we're all looking forward to it. I guess a lot of people are happy they got their stimulus checks before the rapture happens so they can go <laughs> spend it on something stupid. I'm not saying that you might. 
that other people I know will. So, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, yeah, okay, Lord, what? Trying to buy us off. Try to throw God out of schools, which they've done, and buy off everybody else. We need to pray before we start this study because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And we need to sh be sure we can try to understand this spiritually. Pray for remembrance. The older you get, the more important it is to remember to pray to remember. Okay? <clears throat> and then pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. What do I do with this? Because we are called to be witnesses in the last days. We have ample opportunity. Let us not shrink back at the opportunities that are given to us. But we definitely need to be equipped. Going to the conference last week was important, an important reminder to a bunch of pastors who teach out of the Bible, and that's what they do. But it's still an important remi reminder that if you don't hold the Bible in the proper position, you can get off base, you can head off into the tulips faster than you know what's, what's hit you. It's so easy to slide away from the living God. And it's not a good place to be. We're called to persevere to the end. Let's, uh, let's wait. Let's, let's be those who persevere till the Lord takes this breath from this body or until the trumpet sounds. Let's pray. Father, we're so amazingly blessed and we so readily don't realize it. Father, your grace is sufficient for all of us. You have poured it out and made the offer of salvation available to anyone who would believe in your Son. Father, that's all grace. You've made it very clear we can't earn it or deserve it. We can't even work to keep it. But Father, we can work in a way that is pleasing to you to do the things that are honorable in your sight, to spread your message, to be evangelists and disciple makers. Father, you have called us to those very things, so let us not shrink away in the middle of this crooked and perverted generation in which we find ourselves. Let us be equipped to know what is going to happen according to your word, and let us have the faith and the wisdom to be able to explain it to others, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the outline of the Olivet Discourse, and part of the reason I'm going through this is 14 points, as you can see on your handout there, and uh, we're going to go through each one in a little more detail, but <coughs> it's, it's what we need always is the big picture of Scripture, and that's the way that we have to study. You need to go through and study your Bible, read your Bible, because you will pick up things. I've heard people say, don't read your Bible, just you know, focus on this one little thing. Well, if you don't have an overview of the Bible and a broad view of the Bible, you're not going to know how the pieces fit. It's like the picture puzzle, the jigsaw puzzle that you've got, and, and you get, what's the most important thing about the jigsaw puzzle? The box. <laughs> the box top with a picture on it. You want to know where you're going to get. Well, that's what we want to know. We want to have the big picture. And you do that by reading the whole Bible. Read it through. As this morning, chronologically, I think is a good way to do it. Because it 
let you understand progressive revelation. God didn't reveal everything all at once. He revealed it in increments. And so we get to learn and grow from that. Now here we get to the picture with this is the life of Christ. This is the just a couple of days before the cross. It's not the day before when he delivers this message. But just a couple of days, a week of the cross, whenever he takes these disciples up the mountain. And then he is going to tell them a, a big picture of some specifics. And they're going to ask him a question. What's going to be the sign of, the, of your coming? When are you coming back? That's interesting because even then they may not have realized it, but if you're coming back, he's got to go. And they still didn't quite have the cross down, did they? But when they ask that question, it's, it's pretty revealing. The outline of the discourse is the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, that's important because some people say there's no such thing as church age prophecy. Well, here is a prophecy that's given for the church age and fulfilled in the church age. Some people have said anything going on right now has no bearing or significance whatsoever because it's in the church age. But yet, if you pay attention to what's, what is said in Scripture, there are things that are prophetic for the church age. And the Lord's going to give some of them here. But some of the mistakes made in this passage come about when people start trying to turn everything into the rapture. That's when you have problems. That's when you face problems. So we're going to sort those out as we go through. But there's the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Then there are questions by the disciples. Tell us, Lord, when's this going to happen? When's what going to happen? The destruction of the temple. That's what they're asking him about to start with. But that's, their question goes on. They're asking him actually three things. And so we'll see just what they said and, we'll, and he'll answer them. The Lord doesn't back away. He answers them. Then he gives some warnings. Look out. There are going to be some things happen between the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Between his first advent and his second advent, things are going to happen. Then we find that there's going to be a prophecy of persecutions. Now this prophecy, interestingly enough, we'll sort it out as we go through. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are talking about the same event they have a little different contextual flow. One of them is preparing the disciples for the events leading to 70 AD. Okay? The other one is preparing people generally for the church age. In this world you have persecution. And one of them is preparing the tribulational believers. Now it's not three different messages. It's three different contexts inspired by the Holy Spirit to prepare believers. So this is an important prophetic message that is being given. There are specific prophecies given about the destruction of Jerusalem surrounded by armies. We're going to find those out. Those were fulfilled by the way. Prophecies of the tribulation. Also stars falling out of heaven. Signs from heaven. And then you'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the sky. There's going to be some specific prophecies that are tribulational. Do we know they're tribulational? by a couple of reasons, and one of them is we got to connect it with the book of Revelation. Because Revelation 8 talks about a star falling from heaven. They call it wormwood that's going to happen. That, that hasn't happened since the rapture. We haven't had one of those meteoric events, if you will, of, of that type of magnitude. Prophecies for the tribulation. 
Prophecies of the Second Advent. Oh, I, I love these passages, and I love it. He says, this is going to happen. The sun's going to go dark. Da -da 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 -da. And immediately after the tribulation of those days. And what does that just tell you? Taught you dispensations right there, didn't it? It says that there are things that are going to happen, and immediately after that final part of the age of Israel called the tribulation, immediately after it, that's when the Lord returns. Lord returns on the first day of the millennial kingdom. That's when he returns, not during the tribulation. So if you find yourself here during that 2,520 days, keep a calendar because he's not coming back then. What does it mean to you? Keep your head down. Figure out where to go or become a martyr. You say, I don't know if I'd want to become a martyr. It's going to be pretty bad around the earth. I mean, if you can get some eternal rewards out of it, what's so wrong with that? No, I'm not going to take that mark. You might be an instant martyr. We've got uh, running around now all the people with the shots. The shots, the mark of the beast, and all this other stuff. And They've got all this metal coating in it. and that's So what? <laughs> it's not the mark. Okay? And then the parable of the fig tree. I love the parable of the fig tree. In fact, I've got a hat that occasionally I'll wear. It says, keep your eye on the fig tree. <laughs> That's a conversation starter, I'll tell you. You know, you wear an NRA hat and people, you know, they like that. You wear a, the Second Amendment protects the first hat. And they, you know, they like that. You wear, keep your eye on the fig tree and they're going, what is that? <laughs> That's when you want to go out witnessing because it's a lot of, what is a fig tree? Who's the fig tree? Where did the fig tree come from? Why are you talking about the fig tree? The parable of the fig tree. Then we have comparison to the antediluvians. This is those that lived prior to the flood. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now a lot of people have taken that and ran with it. And as a result, you have a group of people going around now that's looking for the alien invasion that is going to happen. They're going to explain the rapture away that we've been caught up into the mothership and taken away from here to another planet. So uh, we're going to deal with what that verse is saying uh, biblically. Comparison to the antediluvians. The biggest problem with the antediluvians was the total immorality. You think that might be going on now? Whenever they're going to, they're going to be looking at churches and going, "You still doing weddings? Uh, this new thing they're trying to push through conf uh, Congress now, this so-called Equality Act, uh, that means that men and women are the same. They're they're all equal. Well, we're all the same before God in the eyes of God. We've got different roles, though. You know, it doesn't make any sense that boys can compete in girls' sports, but yet that's what that will guarantee. So. <clears throat> Comparison with the antediluvians, what do we end up with? Total immorality. Then we have the application. The application to us, how then shall we live? Always very important. We have the faithful bondservant. I like these because the final closing out are, are parables of warning. They're parables of being ready. They're parables of 
not shrinking away in fear at his coming. They're parables of getting ourselves ready. And their second advent, to be sure, they're talking about by, by uh, interpretation, but by application, don't we have a big event to get ready for? Call the rapture. So we need to learn some things from those. And then the parable of the ten virgins, the ones that had oil in their lamps, and the ones that didn't have any oil in their lamps. Parables of the talents, how to invest, how to invest to the glory of God and to invest into the kingdom. It's, it's interesting because sometimes people are more hesitant to invest in people than they are buildings. They're more interesting. Sometimes, you know, it's common among mission organizations that, that uh, people oftentimes want to invest more in buildings, something tangible, something they can see, than, than people to keep food, shelter, and clothing on their bodies. And if you stop and think about it, we're, that doesn't really make any sense. Parable of the talents and the final judgment at the second advent, not the great white throne. So this is what we're looking at in the Olivet Discourse, in the outline. The prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. First thing that we're going to look at, and uh, I guess I need that verse. And you're going to find there in your notes, here are the parallel verses all put together. So you can read the verses and the accounts all at one time. We're going through Matthew, primarily, or Luke right here. And it says, while some were talking about the temple... The temple is the Hieron. Uh, it's referred to 72 times in the New Testament. And it refers to the temple complex itself. Now there's another word translated temple from time to time. The naos. Which looks at the inner sanctum. It'll look at the holy place and the holy of holies. And that's the, the naos that's in view. But the Hieron looks at the temple complex itself. So it says, while some were talking... We know that the disciples, from Mark 13, 1, it was the disciples that were talking about it, that it was adorned. I, I like this word, adorned. It's cosmeo. We get cosmetics from it. So if you want to know a Greek word, it's cosmetics comes from that. Cosmeo looks at the outward adorning. It's used in Revelation 21, 2. This says like a bride getting ready for her groom. She is adorned. And the temple is compared to a bride dressed in her finest, getting ready for her groom. And it then describes this, this temple that was adorned and how it was with beautiful stones and votive gifts. That's anathema. That Athema means to place, and ana means up. This is not the word for curse. This is a word that means to place up. It's a special gift he's talking about. It's the only place this word is used in the New, in the New Testament. You have uh, Matthew pointing out the buildings, and Mark writes it, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what beautiful buildings. So they're all impressed by the temple complex itself. So Jesus was leaving the temple. One of the disciples pointed out the temple's beauty to him. Now the Lord, we don't know that he missed any teaching opportunities. Every time the disciples opened their mouth, it was a teaching opportunity. And they're, they're 
pretty good at opening their mouth. So we get some of those things recorded. John tells us at the end of his gospel that if he wrote it all down, everything the Lord did in three and a half years, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written about him. So we didn't get everything uh, that he did. The disciples' comment indicated he was greatly impressed by the design and the structures. Okay, that's what he was looking at. It's just like coming up on a, a nice temple. It's coming up on something that's just a beautiful building. And you look at it and go, wow, this is really great. <clears throat> if you ever notice that, I think it's the United States alone has spent $50 billion on churches and such to honor a God that doesn't dwell in houses made with hands. Well, sometimes we put our money in the wrong place, maybe. He was impressed by the material makeup this disciple was of the structure. Like the, the word used there is the one used in Matthew eight twenty seven when it says, the men were amazed and they said, what kind of a man is this? This what kind? This same exclamation is the same one they used about the temple. What kind of man is this that even the wind and sea obeys him? Hmm. What kind of guy is this? So they'd been amazed like this before at Jesus. Now they were amazed at the buildings. The structure and the beauty of the new Jerusalem will far exceed the old Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verse 19 to 21 <clears throat> says the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second sapphire. The third chalcedony. The fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx. The sixth sardius. The seventh chrysolite. The eighth beryl. The ninth topaz. The tenth chrysophase. The eleventh jaseth. And the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. Like transparent glass. The new, new Jerusalem. Nothing will ever compare to it. You know what Solomon did? The Solomonic temple was of such a nature that he tried to copy it in India at a place called the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal was supposed to outdo the Solomonic temple as stated by the guy that had it built. That's what he wanted to do. Everybody looks at that and goes, oh, that's so neat. Well, he, he used... <laughs> He had 20,000 slaves to build it. So I look at that thing and not sure that that was a great idea. But <clears throat> the structure and beauty of the New Jerusalem. I've, I've been to the Taj Mahal. And you know, it's, it's really depressing. <laughs> we battle the crowds to get in there because we were supposed to be tourists. And we got in there and we got into the inside of it and you know what was inside the Taj Mahal? A dead guy. Still dead. <laughs> I don't think this was built to honor a dead guy. Hmm. Well, the Lord's tomb's empty so you can talk all you want. No sacredness about that particularly. The most beautiful temple, though, is actually the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
John chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said it took 46 years to build this temple. Another example of they just didn't get it. You'll raise it up in three days, but he was speaking in the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to lose him. But he had a job to do, a mission to fulfill. Now what's the prophecy? Here is Luke 21, 6. As for these things that you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one stone left upon another which will not be torn down. Uh, Matthew 24, he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And Mark 13, 2, And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn. So they got the message right, didn't they? Now what would you say the prophecy was? Not one stone left on another which will not be torn down. Now Josephus says the stones were 25 cubits long, 8 cubits high, and 12 cubits wide. Now a cubit's about a foot and a half. And a foot and a half will go about from the back wall to this, the front of this stage. 37 and a half feet, roughly. And then it says it's uh, 12 feet, let's see, 12 feet wide, this room's 50 feet wide, so about a fourth of this room, and the ceiling is 14 feet tall from the floor down there, and this thing was 18 feet. Now that's a pretty good chunk of rock. And when you kick, get this thing up there and get it one put on top of another, and he said these are all going to be torn down. It's it's not one of these drive-by fires like a lot of the ancient world used to be because they're going to take this thing apart. That's the prophecy. Not that it'll be attacked. Not that it'll be breached. Not that there'll be any of that. He says, here's specifics. Not one stone's going to be left on top of another. And in 70 A.D., 37 years roughly after the prophecy was given, Titus, his Roman legions, fulfill this prophecy. Notice again, it's a prophecy fulfilled in the church age in contrast to those who say there is no such thing as church age prophecy. Now, <clears throat> in verse 7, we're going to look at the questions posed by the disciples. Luke 21, 7, Matthew 24, 3, and Mark 13, they spread it out over two verses for some reason known only to the translators that, <clears throat> that did that. Remember, the verse divisions are not inspired. Uh, they didn't even have spaces between the words. And you say, how did they read? It'd be impossible to read. Not, not really. If you learn Greek and Hebrew both, they didn't have spaces between the letters because they wrote on parchment. A lot of it, and a lot of the stuff they, 
they didn't have a lot of extra room like we do. They didn't have a lot of memory left in their in their vellum whenever they got done uh, doing it. And they put it together. You know, Greeks got a bunch of letters they call in letters, final e letters. A sigma, for example, is one of them. In the middle of the word, it looks one way. At the end of the word, it looks another way. And they've got enough of those. So if you're a child taught to read in that manner, you know where the word divisions are. There's no question about it. It's no, no big deal to someone taught to read that way, to do it. But here are these, these disciples. That was an extra rabbit trail that at no extra cost. Anyway, they question him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? What things? Not one stone left on top of another. You have to stay in the context. And what will be the sign? Semeon is the word used here used 76 times. A sign is a thing that points to something else. What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? What will be the sign when they're about to take place? Now the group left the temple for the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So keep in mind this prophecy is getting real specific. Mark 13, 3a, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives Opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and they started asking him questions. So the group is together is the picture we get. They're talking about how great these things are. He gives a prophecy to the group. And then Mark 13, 3b, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Okay, They wanted more information on it. And in context, they wanted to know what the sign would be of the fulfillment of the prophecies he'd just spoken concerning Jerusalem. So Matthew 24, 3, the first part of it, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen? Mark 13, 4, tell us when these things are going to be and what will the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? So they're asking him, what is the sign? They also wanted to know the sign of his coming. So you have to pay attention. Not just when will all these things be, but the sign of his coming. This presupposes he's going to be gone. There, Peter, James, Andrew, and John had some concept. Although they didn't fully grasp it, they had a concept that he'd be gone for a while. Or they wouldn't have asked this, this question. What will be the sign of your parousia? is the word for coming. A parousia, usia is a word that means to be, and par means alongside, to be alongside. And that's where they talk about the coming. When are you coming back? I'm going to be alongside of us. Also, they ask for the sign of the end of the age. Matthew 24, 3c. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's three questions in there <clears throat> that the Lord sets about to answer. Now, what age are they living in? The age of Israel. <clears throat> so they're asking, what about the end of the age of Israel? I don't think they had fully grasped Daniel 70 weeks and the 70th week of Daniel and how that all had to be fulfilled. But for their idea, it's the coming of the Lord in glory. They've accepted to some degree that he is going to suffer because he's told them over and over and over again 
the Son of Man is going to be going into Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. They're going to crucify him, and on the third day he's going to rise again. He's told them that more than once. So now they're saying, when are you coming back? Okay, When is this stuff going to happen? When is the end of the age? Because they don't know anything about a church age. They just know there's going to be a little bit of time. And if they listen to him carefully and reread what has been written, they're going to understand there's going to be a, a time lapse. He'll give them a lot of information. Again, this they probably did not understand at the time that they heard it. The questions they were asked, asking, though, indicated they had grasped some of what he'd revealed to them about his death and resurrection. So now he starts to give them some warnings. In verse 8, there's going to be a rise of false messiahs. This is Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, and Mark 13, verse 5 and 6, along with this one verse, Luke 21, 8. And he said, see to it. Now this kind of gives us a clue that some of this is going to extend beyond those 12 disciples and literally those four because he's talking to the four here because he uses a present imperative he doesn't use an aorist imperative that would lock it in closer to a, a, a current event for those particular four he uses a present imperative it's active, which means you're going to have to be involved in paying attention to the last days, the signs, the things I'm going to tell you about it. And the imperative says, if you want to understand about me coming back, you got to learn this. Okay? You, have to, you have to understand this. So he says, see, it's the word blepo, by the way, which is an interesting word. I would have expected harao to be here, which means to take a real good long look at it. This is blepo. And it's basically saying that there's going to be little things on a daily basis. Keep looking for. Keep looking for. Certain things are going to happen. They, they, you get into the 20th century and it, people start talking about Israel coming back to the land and getting their own homeland. Those are those little blepo things that you start looking at and going, hey, you know, I, the, the Lord kept talking about Israel. Uh, was Israel swallowed up by the church? Or did Israel remain distinct? It's a hermeneutical question. And if you believe, literally, as, as I believe we're taught to believe the Bible literally, you're going to keep Israel and the church different. as They are different. You know, the church has never promised a piece of land. Anywhere. He doesn't promise us a piece of land. But he does promise Abraham a piece of land. In between the Euphrates and the river of Egypt, it's a pretty good chunk of property that they've never possessed in all of their history. Now, is God's word true? I believe it is. And what's he going to do? He's going to give that piece of land to Abraham. And he's going to raise Abraham from the dead so he can enjoy it. That's a pretty good deal. Now, see to it that you're not misled. Aorist's passive subjunctive, a planao. Subjunctive says it's a potential. The aorist tense says don't do this at any time. Don't get misled at any time. But the passive says the misleading is from an outside source. Okay? That's the devil. That's the evil one. That's the way of the world. Because the devil is a master of distraction. 
if he can get us distracted by worrying about some celebrity's dogs or worried about some dogs that bite somebody, if he can get us distracted by all that other stuff, we're not paying attention to what he's really doing as a python. He shows up as a poisonous snake, by the way. But in Egyptian uh, history and mythology, the python is one of the snakes that is worshipped because it just grabs its prey and squeezes them to death. Well, that's a pretty good picture of Satan, too. He's unrelenting. He doesn't sleep. He is not going to let up. If he lets up, look out. Because what do they do? Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters, they often use a, a holes and they use submissive holes and they work them just like a python works them. If they give you a little bit of slack because they want you to move a little so they can tighten the next one even more and put you into submission. That's the way the devil works. So watch out because he's coming. And he says, he, many do not be deceived for many will come in my name saying, I am he. This is the Greek, ego I me. This is the Greek equivalent of Jehovah. I am. And a lot of people are going to say, come in his name saying that he's God, that they're God. They're God. I am he and the time is near Perfect tense of engizo. Time has grown, grown near. Then his command, do not go after them. Perilomai means to go on a journey. It's an air subjunctive with a negative may. Don't go. Don't go with them. Don't follow them. Because there are going to be certain things that we're going to know when Jesus comes back, the world's going to know who it is. The whole world's going to know. He's going to come and light up the sky like nobody's business at the second advent. In fact, he's going to light it up because there's not going to be any light without him. There's no way anybody can escape seeing him. It's, not, it's just, that's what the Bible describes. So, <clears throat> the first statement in his answer to their question is a prophetic warning. He said, there's going to be a lot of people come between my departure and my coming back, my parousia. A lot of people come, and they're going to make these claims. The warning is that many will use his name to try and mislead believers. Now, see, this is a prophecy, too. Has this happened? It has been going on since the first century, for sure. That's why he put many in there. They'll claim to be who? God in the flesh. They'll claim to be Messiah. Many will come in my name, saying. They'll claim to be the returning Messiah. They'll claim to have special insights into his divine timing. Now, the special insights would be those who have special insights when there's nothing really to blepo, to look at. But when there are things to look at, they're not claiming special insights. What are we looking at? There's a king of the north. Now, Russia pretty well fills that. There are kings of the east, India, China, Burma. And now uh, Burma is being swallowed up by China, by China. There are the kings of the east. The king of the south, they tried to do that. Gaddafi got elected king of Africa. Anybody know that? He, he had a big celebration deal, proclaimed himself king of kings and lord of lords. Right then. King of the south. 
saying, I'm just saying it's ready to happen at any time. How about the king of the West, head of a ten-nation confederacy? Well, there are more nations than that in the European Union, but what, part of what the Antichrist is going to do is consolidate all of that. It's all ready to happen. There's also a prophetic entity outside of those that is going to be totally and completely destroyed and their land never walk through again. It's all coming together. Now, <clears throat> many will be deceived. Matthew 24, 5. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will mislead many. Mark 13, 6 says the same thing. Notice the inference, inference there will be more than a short period of time before the prophecies are fulfilled to allow for the false messiahs to come forth. Now there are some people that actually thought, and some of the disciples too, thought Jesus ascended to heaven, they saw him, Matthew 28, uh, Acts chapter 1, they saw him ascend up to heaven, and they thought he was just going to come right back. Okay? But Peter, Andrew, James, and John should have known better. When they start looking at this, and they put Jesus' words together, and in a way they were new believers just remembering all these things about many will come in my name and, and saying, I am he. There's going to have to be more than, I would say, two or three to have the many. Nobody was, had come back right then saying, I'm Jesus, doing that. So th those things are going to have to be fulfilled. There's going to be a period of time. Some were looking for him to return in the first century. And there are passages that lend one to believe that. But when you have the, when you have the systematic theology that gives you the, the big picture, you're going, he wasn't coming back in the first century at all. But, and he certainly wasn't going to come back till Jerusalem had been destroyed. Why? Because Jerusalem's got to be rebuilt for the temple to be there for the tribulation. See, it's... It, there's some things that just don't make any sense. Now, <clears throat> verse 9 takes us a little bit farther. And he says, when you hear. Okay, this is the aorist actus subjunctive. When you might hear. It's a second person plural. Again, he is talking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But he's, he's talking about when you all may hear of wars and disturbances okay these are really is, means battles when you might hear wars and battles do not be terrified don't be when, don't don't let it scare you have you heard of any wars lately going on a bunch of us have lived through more than one you know actually there's a whole lot of wars going on that we don't even know anything about we don't pay attention to because our news media would rather cover dogs than, than important things. It, it, there's wars going on in the northern part of Nigeria, northern part of Ghana, northern part of Benin, northern part of Togo, northern part of Equatorial Guinea, where the Muslims are trying to push the Christians out into the ocean in Africa. Those are going on all the time. How much do you hear about those? We've heard that there's a war going on in Myanmar. We've at least got a little bit of that because it's so obvious. 
And there, uh, what about any other wars? Yeah, they're still fighting uh, for land and territory. How about Sudan? How much have you heard about Sudan in recent history? We actually ran into a person that has planted over 100 churches in Sudan, praise the Lord, in the last 10 years. Amazing to even think that that can be done. Mozambique, Indonesia. You start looking at the, the various battles that are going on now. I have a book about a long time ago from Military Book Club. It's about three or four inches thick. Very little print. I didn't read it from start to finish uh, because I couldn't see the print. But the uh, number of wars. It, see, the things that history records is war. Within any nation, somebody's going to write down about the war, especially if they won. And you find out when they lost by reading other nations' account, except the Jews. Their book is unique. They write down the victories and the losses as well, which lends credence to its historicity. And what you find is that, that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. These things must take place First, Protoss. First, before what? Before he's coming back. That indicates there's going to be a period of time. But the end, Tatelos, the final point, the end point of what? The age, does not follow immediately. This word, ubios, and it is a good translation of this word. So there'll be wars, battles before the events in question are fulfilled. Wars and battles are not the primary sign of his return. Jesus does not want them to get so rattled by circumstances they stop thinking or trusting him. He didn't want them that upset. That one word used about frightened, don't be frightened by that. The only other place that's used is when he appeared to them after the resurrection in that room all to themselves and it said they were <coughs> they were scared to death. He said, don't get scared to death. I was reminded this last week of something we used to call faith rest. And it's just as applicable today. Faith means that you know a promise of God. You can't have faith in nothing. You know the promises of God and you rest in them. So we shouldn't be like other people, shaken to the core. What's going to happen to this world? What's going to come on this world? Are we going to kill each other with global warming or pandemics or all this other stuff? So what? Where's your eternal home? See, that's a promise from the Almighty. So in the middle of all this turmoil about elections and non-elections and stolen elections and all this other stuff, we ought to just back off a little bit and think, who do we really serve? Who do we serve? And then rest in that. There will be wars and rumors of wars years before his return, but there were more wars in the 20th century recorded than in all the history of the world before that. Are they increasing? And notice he's got to go before he can return. Now, the, this is the lead up and the warning for the Lord. Today we're going to uh, close out, if we can get Brian and, and Galen and, and uh, 
what's his name? Calvin. <laughs> the cow. We're just going to have a, a short close. Then we're going to have food. And if the guy shows up just exactly right, I said, don't be early. Okay, but don't be late. <laughs> so we're going to have some food, some more food come in, some meat come in over here. But please do stay. Uh, Roger and Nancy are going to Houston, um, moving with, to be with Robin and Sean. And so this, this is her last Sunday. I'm not. So, we, we thank you guys for your friendship, your grace, your service. We're going to miss you. And we're going to eat and visit. You can't leave without eating. Because we have plenty of food that is here. But uh, anyway, we thank you.